I, I don't know exactly where to tell you to go first. <laughs> I've got a, I, I got a, I just got something on my heart. Let's just, let's just pray. I'm, I don't know where I'm going, much less y'all. <clears throat> let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this day. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your watching care over each of one of us. I do pray for those that are sick and not able to be here. I pray about us who are here and uh, maybe not fully here. We're here, but we're scattered everywhere. And Lord, I just ask you that you'd help us to uh, get our focus together. Thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your love. I pray that you'd just direct God and work in this service and help us to just to uh, know that we've been with you when we leave this place. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. <clears throat> this morning I begin that uh, message on what's standing between you and hell. Talked about the uh, reality of hell and uh, some of the horribleness of hell. Uh, I hadn't nearly covered what I thought I would cover. Uh, over in, uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the long-suffering of God. I'm going to skip through and fill in some spots and uh, that I skipped over this morning. Look at, uh, look, let's, let's read our text verse again. And I'm not going to read about hell again. I'm just going to read this passage here in in Second uh, Peter chapter number three. Uh, he said, he said, uh, the world that in verse number six, whereby the world that then was was overflowed with water and perished, but the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved under fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. And here's, here's where I want us to get to. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some men count slackness but is long-suffering to usward and not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, in, uh, I, I talked about these scriptures this morning, but I really wanted us to focus a little bit on these scriptures as they deal with the long-suffering and goodness of God I would like for, I'd like for you to get this, that God, though we disregard Him, though we, uh, how many days do we live our lives for ourselves and, and just completely forget that, that God has blessed us and saved us and kept us? Uh, and I don't want an answer, but we all are guilty of being distracted and allowing other things to come between us. And I just wanted to focus on him a little bit with you tonight. Uh, in, uh, in, 
in, uh, somebody said half of soul winning is soul warning. And so I just, uh, in, over in Second uh, Peter chapter 2, look over here in verse, let's see, verse 4. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world. Here's here's an example of long-suffering. But save Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. And uh, we, could, we could go uh, back and look a little bit about this preacher of righteousness. And turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example to those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just lot, vexed, with the filthy conversation of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The, the Lord know how. Here's, here's the verse I'm aiming at. If all of that, and just let me go back over here to Genesis uh, Let's see, in Genesis chapter 6, I believe it is. I thought I had a verse. In verse verse number 3, he says this. Let me me start in verse 1 of chapter 6 of Genesis. I'm hanging on to my spot over there in Peter. It came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth... And their daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair, and they took them wives of all they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit will not always, shall not always strive with man. We said this morning that the drawing, wooing, conviction of the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit is standing between us hell because he draws us quickens us and brings us to a place of uh, desiring the things of God because he's in charge when we talk about the word of God standing between us and hell we looked at the power of the word of God as it's preached, the, the Word of God, the power of God stands. But when you're talking about the Holy Spirit, you're not talking about the power of God, you're talking about the person of God. And He stands. So, here. So, uh, let's see here where I was at. Six. My spirit will not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. I'm, I'm tempted to get off on us, but I'm going to go past it. Yet his days shall be a hundred 
and 20 years. He says that in verse 3 and verse uh, number 5 he says, God saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man. It grieved him at his heart. Thank God for verse 8. He said in verse 7, I'll destroy man whom I've created. But 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. I've got a line drawn between 120 years and Noah. <clears throat> and these are the generation of Noah and the earth. Uh, I'm skipping. But, uh, but Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth was corrupt before God. The earth was filled with violence. And he said, make an ark. And then over in, uh, over in chapter 7 is the description of the building of the ark. And, but in, in, here in our passage in 2 Peter chapter number 2 now, he spared not the angels, he spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness. Does that ring your bell? The long suffering of God. Uh, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes and condemned them with an overthrow and made them an ensample unto those that should live ungodly and delivered just lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. And uh, verse 9, the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations to reserve the unjust to the day of judgment to be punished. Uh, and all I'm trying to get out of this, I've skipped around and looked at some verses out of context, but what I'm trying to show you is the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to us not willing that any should perish. In the, middle of, in the middle of every thought in the world being ungodly and wicked, God raised up the preacher of righteousness and gave him 120 years to preach. His harvest in 120 years was only eight souls. But he gave him 120 years to preach the mercy of God. We may not see the harvest of souls that they've seen in days past. I don't know what God's got in store for us. But here's the point. I know everything around us is wicked. I understand that. Our, our nation is wicked. This nation that was once uh, produced and, and developed by God has turned their back on God just like Israel did. 
but God is still God, and God's on his throne, and God is a just God, and God is a long-suffering God. What, what be, ought to behoove us is to become the preachers of righteousness to this generation. There's not many of them around, I'll grant you that. I mean, there's preachers, but uh, some of you got a rehearsal this week of a preacher who never preaches against sin. He doesn't believe hell is hell, and he. Uh, but one of our ladies is sucked up into his his love and peace preaching, and now she's trying to get everybody to listen to Joel Osteen. Don't fall for that stuff. Stay with your Bible. Get in the Bible. Stay in the book. Let that book speak for itself. Excuse me, Joel. I didn't mean to mention you on the. I'm talking about preachers who don't preach the book. I'm talking about people who say they're Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalian or you name it, but don't live for the Lord. He is a long-suffering God. And uh, this verse says, some men can't... He's not slack concerning his promise because it has not happened does not mean it's not, it will not happen. You understand it? When God promised that judgment on this earth, and you'd, we'd have to go through this whole chapter 3 of Second Peter, uh, the world that was, the world that is, the, uh, the, the word of God and the wrath of God, But in the middle of it is a long-suffering God. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? So, uh, so uh, that was the point that I did not make. We can be preachers of righteousness and help our kinfolk, our friends, by standing between them and this place called hell. And it ought to behoove us to do so in the wicked day we live. And you, you can just about look anywhere. And I'm not going to start naming all the sins, but they're everywhere. And they have captured America. We're, we're, our young people are beset. It starts, it starts in the third grade. That that agenda to teach them the ungodly things of this world rather than the godliness of God. If there's a preacher of righteousness, he'll have to be raised up out of these folks who are standing on the book. That's you and me. And so, uh, and then we talked a little about the prayers of the saints. I want to go back over and rehearse with us, the church, just a minute. In in First Timothy chapter two, he says in verse one, "I exhort, therefore, first of all, since he's writing to his young preacher, when he says first of all, that ought to get our attention." And he mentions supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks. That's the four aspects of our prayer life. 
He says, he says I, I exhort that that be made for all men, for kings, for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet, peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of truth. In the middle of all this wickedness, he's saying, your prayers. And he, then he said down in verse 8, I hit on this a little bit. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Let me ask you a question. I think I told you about the fellow who fell out in my office in his suit. and We got down on the floor and prayed for, for God's mercy. Uh, his, his teenage son's best friend had just been killed in a car wreck. He had no answer for his boy. He was looking for somebody that would pray. There's been some times in my life, I, I can remember when uh, Susie's, my wife's dad committed suicide. And I remember when the phone rung that morning at one o'clock or something. And on the, end, on the other end, the fellow said, let me speak to Wayne. And it was Susie's uncle. And, he didn't want to tell her. And he told me what had happened. I can remember in my heart that emptiness. How do you tell your wife? What do you say to comfort her? How do you hold her from the, from the brokenness, broken heart? And I'll never forget the the emptiness in my soul. It was all about hunting. It was all about, about camping. And uh, I, my heart was not registered on the Lord that day. I wasn't ready. He said, he says in verse 8, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. I'm going to say this. You cannot do that without the presence of the book in your life. You cannot do that if you only pray once a week or at, at church on Sunday. You can't do, you can't fulfill that, verse 8. This is not this is a request from headquarters. This is a command from a superior officer and he's saying here's what God wants you to do. He wants you to be the man for the moment who is instant in season, out of season and can access God for them. That's what he's saying. I doubt if there be, if I ask for hands, I doubt if many of us could hold our hand up and say, just about every day I'm there. Just about every day I have prayed up. Just about every day I've got my Bible and it's stirred my soul and, and I'm, I'm ready with holy hands to get a hold of God. 
If they call me at two this morning, I'll be ready, Brother Wayne. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be there with prayer. I'll be ready. I'll have a holiness about me that can get a hold of God and rest in God and, and get comfort in God and give them, that, give, them a, 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 give them a prescription off the book that will keep the devil's evil away from the place. Can you? I'm not asking you to tell me. You just search your own heart. You tell me if you're ready. If we're not ready, he is, this is the instruction. This is the instruction of how to act, how to conduct ourselves as a part of the house of God. It's conduct for the church. And he said, he said, you stand, hey friend. You may not, you may think I'm I'm a weak Christian, but can you if you can get a prayer through and know you can get it answered, you may be the light, the only light in the neighborhood you live in. You may be the only light for the friends that will that you'll that access the you know the Facebook the the uh, cell phone rings and the, those people. You know, there's a lot of good people in the world who look good, talk good, act good, but they have no access to God. Right. Hell awaits them. And what I'm saying is you are and I am the, the only thing that stands between them and hell being able to get a hold of God, being able to have power with God, being able to be, hey, just being stirred in our souls with the urgency of the hour. Well, I've got to do this and this and this, and then I'm going to get ready. You may not have that time. What he said is, I will therefore that men pray everywhere lifting up hand, holy hands without wrath and doubting. You are the difference for somebody in heaven and hell. You ought to get a hold of that. God didn't save you just to sit on a pew. didn't save you just to feel good. God saved you as a witness of his glory to this lost world. He could have done it any way he wanted to. Somebody said, well, we've got a new pastor coming. He'll be there in the pulpit. He won't be, he may not even be here for six months, and if he is here in six months, he may not be able to reach your friend that you know, that guy that counts you as the, as the Christian in his life. You understand it? You're responsible. I'm responsible to prepare my heart to get on my face, to access the power of God and, and, and be ready to, let's see if I, to supplicate and pray and intercede and give thanks in my own family, my own neighborhood.
That's us. So we've said, we've said this. What stands between every person in hell? The Bible, the Scriptures, and the preaching of the Scriptures. It's not just having a Bible, but it's having a Bible that has affected me, and I can, I, I would say, I, some of you guys can, can preach pretty good. You know how to witness. You know some scriptures. You could tell anybody how to be saved and, and have confidence doing it. I've seen some of these young guys working. Uh, Francis got a pretty good test yesterday. We was putting the tent up. We came inside to get a cup of coffee and first one thing or another, and she got caught and had to hand out a Bible. And uh, she is the only one out there. What did you do, Francis? You handed out a Bible, didn't you? She did what she could do. That's what you'll have to do somewhere, sometime. You're going to have to, you may say, well, I, 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 somebody else could do it better. That's not an excuse. You've got areas that the other people can't get into. You know people that wouldn't even talk to me. You've got responsibility to those people to make sure that I've got the Bible in me and accessible in my soul and that my testimony is such that it would ring true and have power to deliver. So, and then I wanted to go over here to the last step. In the, in the in-between, we did mention this pleading, wooing, drawing of the Holy Spirit. I'd like to go back to John 6 just a minute. I don't want you to misinterpret this. Down in verse 45, 40, 44. No man can come to me except the Father which has sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Somebody wants to take that verse and run a hundred miles away from the Bible and say that God only draws certain people to himself. Don't let that, don't, don't let that intellectual smart Alex distract you from what Jesus' invitation is to whosoever will may come. And there's no man that is not drawn. God will draw. He said that our text verse said, God is not willing that who could perish? Any. Any. He's not willing for him to perish. And could I say when Jesus came to the cross, and I'm going to get to him in just a minute, when he came to the cross, he came with plenty of ammunition to save the whole world. The, the darkest Buddhist, Hindu, uh, Muslim, back in the far corners of the world is not too far to, to be out of the reach of the cross. He said, but here's what he said. There has to be a wooing of the Holy Spirit. I said that this morning. But in verse number uh, let me start with verse 35. Jesus saith unto them, 
I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye have also seen me and believe not. Whoa. That, that would be true of some church members, wouldn't it? Who have had a glimpse of Christ, but they're not leaning on Christ. They're leaning on church membership or good works or, or offerings or something. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that come to me I will in no wise cast out. That's verse 37. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me, and this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing but raise it up again the last day. This is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I'll raise him up at the last day. I'll stop reading right there, but you put that in context with that verse that says, no man could come to me unless the Holy Spirit draws him. He said, I'm not going to... Whichever one's drawn and whichever one's sent, that's who I'm going to accept. And so, uh, <clears throat> but but sixteen fifteen of John says this. All things that the Father hath are mine. Therefore said I that he will take of mine and shall show it to you. So Jesus is still in the Godhead, and that's where I want to go to next. Over in John chapter 19, this is what we left out this morning, probably the most important passage of it all. <clears throat> There's another thing standing between every lost sinner and hell. Thank God there is. Verse 16. Then delivered he him, therefore, unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth unto a place, the place, called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him. Luke 23, 33 says, there they crucified him. It's a place that was ordained to the devil from beginning of time, I guess. It was a wicked place. It was a dirty place. It was a, an evil place. The place of the skull. It's a place that's despised by men. A place that does not attract folks. But, but if you go to heaven... You'll have to go by way of the cross. 
over in Colossians. Here I wanted to do something a little different, but in Colossians, there's a this is a this is a tremendous passage on the deity of Christ. But verse 19 says, "For it pleased the Father that in Him all fullness dwell." 20, and having made peace through the blood of His cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometimes alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, now hath he reconciled. You ought to underline that word reconcile. God never reconciles himself to a sinner. God always brings a sinner to a place of reconciliation with himself, and that only happens at the cross of Calvary. This passage, beginning in verse 15 and down through uh, 23, I guess, at least, is one of the four prominent passages on the deity of Christ, the God the godliness of Christ. The fact that though he was man, yet he was God. See, see, look at verse 16. 15 says, he's the invis- image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven, that are in earth, visible, invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things, and by him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And what he said in verse 19 and 20 is, I'm God. And on the cross of Calvary, over there in John 19, he said, 1930, he said to Telestai, it's finished in the past. And it's finished right now. But God, to Telestai, it is forever finished. The price is paid. There will never be another sacrifice. You can't light another candle, add anything to his sacrifice. There's no work you or I could do that would even get God's attention. But he paid the price. And he declares it here in 19 and 20. He declares it that it is, that it pleased the Father, that in him should all fullness dwell, and having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him I say, whether they be things in earth or heaven, and you that were sometime alienated enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled. 
You, have you ever had these feelings? I remember going to preach a meeting up in Borger, Texas. I graduated high school at Stanett, Texas, 10 miles away. I went down to uh, the radio station on Sunday morning with the preacher. I thought he was going to give the service. About just before the program started, he said, Brother Wayne, why don't you just preach this morning? He said, you, you went to high school over there, and you can tell those Stanett folks, come over here and see one of their old homeboys. And he said, no telling who'll show up. You know what happened to me? I shrunk inside. Because some of those people, you ever have this feeling? They knew who I really am. They saw me when I was who I really am. And I felt so inadequate to preach that morning. The devil will do that to you. He'll try to shrink you down to say, you don't have a testimony. They won't listen to you. Listen, our testimony is not who we are. It's who he is. It's not what we can do. Read those verses. It's what the God of heaven can do. In him was all the fullness of God. And when he said it was finished, God understood that eternal word, that it was forever finished. It had been forever in view from the time before the world began. They already was predetermined before sin ever entered this world that there was a Savior for sinners already prepared. And his and, and somebody wrote that song, said, when he was on the cross, I was on his mind. When he was in eternity past, before there was any world, before the world ever came into existence, I was on his mind. He already had the cross in mind. He had already volunteered to be the sin debt. And he completely finished the job. And you can tell those poor people that get lost every other week that we're saved forever by the grace of God. It's an eternal salvation. Amen. I'm not going to go to them, but the four great passages in the New Testament on the deity of Christ, here's, here's one of them, Colossians chapter 1. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. 14. We beheld His glory. The glory is of the only begotten of God, full of grace and truth. 18. No man has seen God at any time, but the only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, He hath declared Him. So John chapter 1, you ought to write these down so you can refer to them. John chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took on him the form of a servant, was made in likeness as a man, being found in fashion as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to the death of the cross. 
Wherefore, God has highly exalted him and has given him a name that's above every name, that is the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. I mean, that's a passage. That says who he is. John chapter 1, Philippians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 1, and Revelation chapter 1. Revelation 1 about... Let me, let me just turn over a minute. In Revelation 1, 12, down through 18, it give you the picture of God as the God-man. Those four, chap those four passages, the strongest in the New Testament to declare His glory. So the debt was paid, and the door was opened. He said, I'm the door. John chapter number 10, verse 9, he said, I am the door. Brother, John mentioned it this morning. If any man will come in, if any man, let me just read it. John chapter number Ten verse nine. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and shall go in and out and find pasture. The door is open. The price is paid. God is satisfied, and now the door is open, and anyone who will can take that exit, says Jesus, and turn into that little wooden door and find the cross that satisfies all the requirements of God for sin and be saved forever because the price is paid by him. I was thinking about cemeteries there's a cemetery in Elk City, Oklahoma that Susie and I stopped in one time. I don't know why they've got it in there, but they've got three crosses up on a hill. And we wanted to see, we went over there to look. The three crosses have the men still hanging on the crosses. And then underneath the hill is a tomb. And the tomb had bars on it. it. It was open the day we were there. And we went in. They've got a mannequin of Jesus laying in the tomb. It's spooky to walk in that thing. He's not there. I mean, even in, even in a statue form, he's not there. Old John Phillips told me about the church in Rome. He went to the church in Rome, the church of Mary Major. Y'all ever heard of that church? He went over there. Somebody had told him about it. He went there. And he said he got there and he said, it looked like every other Catholic church or statues everywhere. And he said, so what's so different about this church? The, the fellow that was telling him about it said, go with me. 
And they went around to the back of the church. There was the three crosses. And Jesus was hanging on the middle cross. If you got one of those crucifixes with him on the cross, you ought to throw that thing away. It's an abomination. He's not on the cross. We serve a risen Savior. But John Phillips said they looked at the front of the cross and then the, then the fellow said, look, come back here. And they went around behind the cross. On the back side of the cross was Mary hanging on the cross with Jesus. The agenda to make Mary co-redemptress with Jesus. Hey, there's just one God. He said in one mediator between man and God. His name is Jesus Christ. All, all I could say is all those crosses up and down at the cemetery just tell us if you're going by the cross you don't have to worry about that hell road. Go to the crossroad. It's the way home. I started out this morning talking about warnings. In 1889, Johnstown, Pennsylvania, a little old city up there, you've been there, I guess, huh? In 1889, Johnstown, Pennsylvania is a valley, beautiful place, they said. Brother Hammett told me this story. In 1889, a group of rich men had built an earthen dam at Johnstown. I don't know how many years it had been there, but about the first year it was there, the engineers came and said, that dam won't hold. There's not enough substance to it. But they let it stand. And then the engineers come and said, if you don't put some structure in concrete, that dam's going to break and flood this whole valley. But they let it stand. In 1889, the water was running over the top of the dam and down through the streets of Johnstown. And some old boy on a horse came running through town and he said, the dam's leaking, head for the hills, the dam's leaking. Some of the people moved their stuff up to the second floor and that's about, but nobody ran. And then the city got alarmed and they rang the, they rang the, uh, they had the train uh, ring his bell and blow his whistle, but nobody, ran and then the dam broke 2,200 and something people died 27,000 people were washed out of their homes they were still finding bodies that had been washed as far as Cincinnati, Ohio in 1911 
they had all the they had all the warnings, but they did nothing about it. When I was putting this message together over the last two weeks, I thought, man, somebody's going to be saved. There'll be altars full of our people. My heart was broken in the invitation this morning. Not one soul moved. You got the warning, but nobody moved. What are we going to do about it? Sit and listen and say amen and go back. What are we going to do? We're the only warning that our kids, grandkids, families, neighbors, friends, we're the only warning that most of them will have. And nobody moves. Honestly, I just don't know what else to say. I've told you everything I know to tell you. He's a great God. He's long-suffering. He does not want one to perish. But you better get this down. Hell's a real place. And just because you're a Baptist doesn't mean your kids won't go there. You better get it down. Somebody better sound the warning. Somebody needs to live it and say it. And who's it going to be if it's not us? We got a, a good preacher coming. I believe he's a man of God. But that's not the answer. You're the church. We need to be concerned for souls. Not just in Southeast Asia or India or Africa, but right here in Fort Worth, Texas. So, brother, brother, come and let's have a word of a song of invitation. I don't know what you need to do, but I just ask you to search your heart. Have I been true? Am I the? Am I really the man for the moment or the woman for the moment? Can I get a prayer answered? Am I prayed up? Have I been in the Bible? Am I really earnest about serving the Lord? Not myself, not getting my name. Most of us come in looking at ourselves and thinking about ourselves. I understand that. It's them and them and them and them. Those little girls that were sitting right here this morning. And T-Ball. They're good kids, but they need a savior. It's up to us. What are we going to do? Are we going to pout and puff and show our pride? Or what are we going to do? I'm going to pray and then y'all do whatever you want to do. Father, I ask you to have your way. 
please take charge of us. Please be long-suffering to usward right now. Lord, I pray you'd give us your heart. That Holy Spirit would stir in us. I pray that we'd, we'd be earnest in what we're doing for you. Lord, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the price that's paid. And thank you so much for our salvation. But Lord, I think about my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids. Think about my neighbors. Lord, I just pray that you'd help us to point due north and ring true in our service to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Number one. Early calling to 